0: Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you who are watching online, as those of you who are back in the room. Good to see you. Good to have you here on this weekend. It's a very special weekend, as you well know. Eleven years ago, our country was attacked on 9/11, and uh, we remember that day. Many of you probably remember where you were on that day when that uh, when that started happening. I remember Cindy and I were getting ready to go out on the day. She had the television on. I was having some coffee and and all of a sudden, the news alert came over that the tower had been hit, the second tower had been hit, and they realized that it wasn't an accident, that this was uh, a terrorist attack on our nation. And then we were all so heavy-hearted to find. 3,000 or more of our fellow citizens had died. Thousands more would put their lives at risk going in and trying to find those people, rescue those people, and then try to rebuild that city and rebuild this country. And I think there's some things we should never forget. I think there are some memories, and there are some things that are heavy and difficult that it's good for us to go back and recount and remember. Remember the bravery of those people who did put their lives at risk. And many died as a result of complications in their health for their willingness to go in and try to rescue their fellow citizens. So I think it's appropriate, especially when we're talking about a series about legacy, that we stop long enough on this Sunday morning to give thanks for the memories of those who are gone, for the families that are left behind, and for the legacy that that event has left us. Would you join me in prayer as we pray for these folks? Father, we're so grateful this morning for our nation. And Jesus, we do love you. We have nowhere else to turn except to you. You are the above all. You are in all. You are through all. And even in the events that happen in this world, Father, you don't cause things to happen, but in all things that do happen, you have a purpose. You can bring the calm out of the chaos. You can bring the peace in the midst of the storm. And so, Father, we pray for our country. We pray for those lives lost. We pray for those families who, even 11 years later, still feel the loss and the vacancy and the void of that person no longer there. So, Father, we as a church lift them up. We pray that we will long remember the sacrifices, the selflessness of those who served on that day. May it be an example to us as we think about the legacy that our lives one day will leave to our families. And we give you thanks and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, as those families did on that day, and as you and I do on those heavy days when we lose a loved one, we go to those boxes of memories and we go to those photo albums and preparing for the memorial service and preparing to honor the life of those that we loved. What you find in those, in those uh, times is you find that every one of those photographs you look at are connected to some special memory. And you start remembering the moments that happened around the photograph. And you've done it, I've done it, all of our families in the room and those watching have done it where you find yourself in those moments, preparing to honor their memory. You find yourself at moments where you're laughing. And then you find where you're crying. But all of those photographs um, and all of those images that we look at uh, are connected to a moment in time. And when the moment When the moment happened, you didn't know how, how significant it would be—just uh, the time uh, walking down a beach, uh, spending time in the mountains. Uh, just little moments in time that now are, are memories. I will get through this, hang on. Better stuff's coming, give me a minute. Brother's working through some stuff. (laughs) In preparing for the message, I thought about what our family had gone through. And for those of you who are new to our church and you may not understand where all this is coming from, within the last three years, uh, my dad passed away. Uh, Probably his legacy and influence on my life um, helped shape who I am. Um, he and my mom named me after uh, two preachers, so I didn't have a chance. <laughs> Good Lord, put that on a poor kid. <laughs> I was named after his best friend <clears throat> who's a pastor in Dallas, now retired. And I was named after a, my middle name came from a pastor who was his, my dad's pastor when he gave his heart to Christ. And then of course, Ramsey, he's a pastor. So I'm named after three pastors. So God, what else am I going to do? So my dad passed away. I've got a lot of his old preaching Bibles. In fact, up in my office, I've got a pulpit stand that's very significant. One of the very first revivals he ever preached, he preached behind that pulpit stand. One of the very first meetings that I preached behind, I had the privilege of preaching behind the same pulpit stand. So there's a lot of there's a lot of I don't know sentiment that goes with things that we hold and memories that we share, and the memories that I have probably aren't as profound to you as the memories that you have of some of the things might not be as profound to me, but after my father passed and that yeah, my mom passed away not too long ago, and my mom, I think, is the reason that I do what I do. My dad was at old school that put his career his ministry before his family, and I love him. He thought he was doing what he should have done. But my mother really shaped the attitude of us kids. She, she really was responsible for her attitude with all the craziness they had in their relationship. And as I grew older, I found out there was a lot of craziness in that relationship. With all that was going on in that situation, she protected my sister and my younger brother and me from all that. When we'd get frustrated as our dad, as young kids do from time to time, she wouldn't let us criticize him. And all the stuff they had going on, she would set the example for us kids, kneeling, kneeling beside a bed to pray with us kids for our father while he traveled. So she passed. I did her memorial service as I, as I led through my father's as well. In her memorial services, we recounted some incredible things about my mother's life that has shaped my life, her legacy. Um, I remember when my father was dying, she and my dad had divorced after about 25, 30 years together. She would later say to me one time, She said, Son, she said, if I had killed your father when I thought about it, I'd be out of prison now. I said, you put a lot of thought into that, mother. (laughs) To know my mother, you understand our sense of humor. My brother and I, we went to the nursing home one day, my sister, to check on my mom, and the head nurse said, hey, would you ask your mom to do us a favor? We said, yeah. Mom was struggling with some dementia. She said, would you ask her not to pull the fire alarm? (laughs) She said, we had the police and the fire department all show up. So I went down to her room and I said, Mother, I hear we had some excitement. And I said, why did you pull the fire alarm? She said, well, my little roommate had an accident in the bed and I called him and said, y'all need to get down here and take care of this. And they didn't come. She said, I called them the second time and they didn't come. She said, so I stepped out in the hall and pulled the fire alarm. She said, they'll come next time. (laughs) I said, Mother, they're going to come for me next time. You You cannot do that. So she was a lot of fun. And even after all the years of the problems that she and my dad had on his deathbed, this is where I was going with this memory, on his deathbed, we wondered why, why he was hanging on. We said, you know, he's ready to go. He's preached 50 years of his life. Thousands of people will be in heaven because of him. Even with all the problems that he had, God sure drew a straight line with a very crooked stick. And so we talked about his life. And we wondered why he was still hanging on. My sister, she played some worship music in the room, and hospice was there. My brother and I were there, and we were just kind of waiting. We knew any moment he's going to be gone. And all of a sudden, I never will forget it, the door opened, and my mother in her wheelchair rolled into the room. And if you knew how big of a deal this was, understanding the nature of their relationship, it was huge. She rolls up to his bedside, and she took his hand. The only man she ever really loved. And he was the only woman she he ever really loved. And she held his hand. And after taking his hand after a few moments, he was gone. That's a memory. It's a heavy memory. But it's a memory. And then after my mother and dad passed, all in this last three years, Cindy passed away. We were married for 42 years. We were together since we were 17. We raised each other. We were all we ever knew. <laughs> Not a perfect relationship because she's married to me. <laughs> we had a great life. A lot of wonderful, I can't, began to express to you the number of memories that we that we made together. And then just a few months after she passed away, one of our granddaughters, Evie, she passed away. So all this happened in the span of about 36 months. That's a lot. (laughs) But you know what we did time and time again as a family? We laughed and we cried. Because whether it was my dad, who was well into his 80s, or baby Evie, who was just nine months old, they all left a legacy. Your legacy isn't tied to the length of days that you're here. Some of you have lost little ones. We have people in the house who've lost little ones. The legacy of that little life isn't tied to the years that that little life was here, or even the months or the days that life was here. The legacy is tied to the impact the impact that life made and I believe with all my heart it is the will of God for you and me to leave an impact to make a difference to love people to serve people to care for people to do what we can while we can because we don't know how long we're going to be here I mean there's a verse in 2 Samuel 20 where David said there's just a step a step between me and death David realized the the, how fragile life is, how brief it is. I mean, when you think about it, when the Bible talks about life, physical life, the shortness of it and the uncertainty of it are always emphasized. The Bible says life is a a vapor. We have this hazer, vapor. All of a sudden, you reach for life and it's gone. You see the smoke and it's gone. That's life. The Bible says life is like the flowers that grow up in the spring and wither away in the fall. My point is when the Bible speaks of physical life, the shortness of it, the uncertainty of it, is always emphasized. That's why the Bible says don't boast about tomorrow, Proverbs 27, because you really don't know what the day may bring. So he's teaching us to live our lives a moment of time, a frame at a time, realizing we're not here that long. We're just here for a brief amount of time, and the difference that our life makes is really tied to our legacy. You heard in the little video, Roland, where I talked a few years ago about the idea that we preach our funerals while we're here. In fact, all of those four people in my life that I just mentioned to you, you know what was, in the difficulty of preparing the service, you know what was easy? What was easy was finding material. <laughs> you, in other words, we didn't have to look for things to say about them. There were so many things we had to weed out what to say so we weren't there all day. And what that struck me is their legacy was so strong that they left a lot of material to work with. Can I tell you as someone that may have the honor one day of officiating you or somebody you love, your memorial service, could I ask you a favor? Leave me some material. (laughs) Leave a brother something to work with. You say, are you kidding? No, I'm serious. You'd be shocked at the families that I found. The material they gave me were thin. (laughs) They're trying to come up with something that they can recount and recall because the person didn't really live a life that made impact in a a positive way. So I've done the best I could with, with a few of those through the years, done hundreds of services. I remember doing one where I really tried to spin this guy with the material they gave me. I tried to do the best I could. And then as the custom is, when the service is over, the pastor usually comes instead and head the casket and the people file by. And there was a little old lady who had known me all my life, and she certainly knew the person that I was memorializing. She had known him all of his life. And so as she came by, she grabbed my coat and pulled me down real close to her and whispered in my ear. She said, after hearing what you said about him, I had to come and make sure I was in the right service. <laughs> I guess that was good. I don't know. <laughs> I told you that old story about the two brothers that were just mean and nasty in this little town. They had a terrible reputation. One night, one of them was killed in a bar fight. So his friend, his brother rather, goes to the local pastor of the little church and says, hey, I want you to do my brother's memorial service. He said, I'd be honored to. He said, but the thing I want you to do, at some point in your service, I want you to say my brother was a saint. And the pastor thought, there's no way in the world I could say he was a saint, good night. Everybody in the town knew this guy, his reputation. He was mean, nasty. He had swindled people. He had fought people. He had been in and out of trouble. He said, man, I can't say this guy. I can say a lot of stuff. I can't say he's a saint. And the brother said to him, if you'll say my brother's a saint, I'm going to pay you a thousand bucks. The pastor said, well, okay. I mean, I'm sure I can get creative and find a way. So sure enough, the day came for the service and that little church house was packed. People standing around the walls and looking in the windows. And I mean, it was full of people. And so the pastor got up and he said to the congregation, he said, you know, this guy was probably one of the meanest guys I've ever met in my life. Most of you are probably here just to make sure he's dead. He said, I'm telling you, the guy was Henry, He has swindled people and hurt people. This guy was a rough guy, but let me tell you something. Compared to his brother right here, this guy was a saint. It's all perspective and I'm just suggesting to your heart, folks, that we're not here very long and it's important. It's important that we think about how we will be remembered. How will our friends remember us? How will the people we did business with, how will they remember us? How, how will, how will our family, how will they remember us? Now I don't want you to feel bad about it. We've all made mistakes. And I don't want you to look back because there's nothing you can do about your past. But can I tell you something? You could start working on a legacy today. You could draw a line in the sand and say, I can't do anything about yesterday, but I can do everything about tomorrow. And so beginning today, I want to live conscious of the fact that I'm just here for a little while. And for the time that I'm here, I want to make a difference. Oftentimes in a memorial service, I talk about the cemetery and going out to the the tomb, seeing the tombstones there. Kids and I went out on Cindy's, yeah, on her birthday, and we put flowers out as we do on those special days. You know how you've been out to those places. Went over to baby Evie's, and they're close, and so we put the flowers out for Evie. And what's there on that tombstone at that grave is the name of the loved one that's interred there, the body that's there, the spirit and soul are with God. But we honor the body and the memory. And then you have the day they were born, September the 4th, 1958. And then there's a dash, and then it's the day they, they died, May 31st, 2019. And separating those two dashes, that, those dates, is a dash, a little dash. And when you think about it, that's life. Our life is a dash between two dates. It's just short. We're not here long. Guys, I had not even looked at my notes yet. I'm just talking to y'all. And we're not going to be here that long. I'm looking at the clock, too. I've told you the mind can only endure what the backside, I mean, the mind can only absorb what the backside can endure. I get that. I always want to finish before you but I will get to the notes because in my notes, I think are three essential things we need to consider when it comes to legacy. Paul was a man. Now you see, I'm getting into the sermon. Paul was a man who was really preoccupied with how he would be remembered. When he was in the church at Ephesus, he knew this would be the last time he would be with them. Can I stop long enough to say, if you knew this was the last time you were going to be around the people you love, would you talk to them differently? If you knew this was the last time you were going to be around your coworkers, would you handle them differently? Paul seemed to have a premonition. He seemed to know, this is it. I'm not going to see these guys again. I'm not going to be with them again. And so I just want to to go down memory lane and I want to reaccount two or three things that were so significant to me. The first thing he did was Paul talked to them about the fact that he was committed to a greater person the text there in Acts chapter 20, verse 18. Paul said, you know how I've lived the whole time I was with you from the first day that I came in the province of Asia. Note, I serve the Lord. Paul said, you know that about me. That's been my life. My life has been, the and why the Lord? Why didn't you say I serve Jesus? Now that's who he's talking about. You know why I think he used the word Lord? Because Lord means leader. Now we translate the word Lord because in 1611, King James had commissioned the Bible to be translated into the more common language for the people. And so back in that era, they had lords and ladies. We don't have them now, (laughs) not here anyway. And so when you see the word Lord, a better way of helping us understand that in our American way of thinking is leader, boss, the head guy, the one in charge. He said, I serve the leader, the boss, the one in charge. Paul said, the one thing you probably could say about me is Jesus was the Lord of my life. He was first in my life. He was the priority of my life. And so Paul is underscoring the fact that his life was committed to a greater person. I've committed my life to Jesus. And notice how he described it. I served him with humility. Isn't it sad to see a proud sinner and a humble savior he said, I wasn't arrogant or cocky or condescending. I didn't pontificate, talk down, or preach at people. Paul was a man who understood where people lived. As the Old Testament prophet said, I've set where they sit. He understood what they were going through. He didn't point at them and say, you. He said, we, us. When John talked about sin in the lives of believers and the importance of confessing it in 1 John 1, 9, he said, if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and and forgive us of all unrighteousness. He didn't say, if you confess (laughs) your, he said, we our, you ever heard preachers that point at you as if they have no sin. That wasn't Paul. Paul said, man, I'm, I'm one of you guys. I, I tried to be as humble as I could because I knew where I've come from. I, I remember the road of De, to Damascus when I was persecuting Christians and the light shined from heaven in Acts 9 and I fell off my horse and I looked into the face of the one whose kids I'd been persecuting. And on that road, he was converted. He received Jesus. And in that moment, he became the Lord of his life. Listen, Paul's life was so completely changed they even changed his name. He was called Saul, but he became Paul. Why the name change? I, I don't know. I can speculate. I'll give you an opinion. It's free like the rest of it. Uh, Saul means the important one, King Saul. Every Jewish mother wanted to name her son Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And so that meant significant, important. My son is going to be important. His name is Saul. And Saul really took that as, a, as an uh, affirmation on his life. And throughout his life, he had a sense of arrogance before he came to Jesus. He was uh, highly educated, very religious. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the prime um, teacher, the, 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 the principal rabbi in all of Jerusalem. Paul was his star student. Religious, military trained. He had the uh, 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 approval of Rome. He could put people to death. And a Jewish-born person didn't have the right to put anyone to death in the Roman economy. But he had a license to put people to death. So that means he had been approved to the highest levels of the Roman government as a military man. He was a trusted man. He thought he was doing the right thing, putting these Christians to death. He thought they were radical. He had heard they were drinking blood and eating flesh. He had misunderstood what the uh, communion was about. He thought they were a cult. So he said, man, just like they crucified Jesus, we got to kill this little thing called the church. And all of a sudden, man, Acts 9, God stops the man in his tracks and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul realized Jesus Christ, whom we have crucified, is risen. He heard his voice. He saw him in a vision. And God so changed that man's life that not only was he no longer known as Saul, he was known as Paul. And Paul in that Hebrew economy meant the humble one, Paul meant the one willing to submit and yield, and God so radically changed his life. No wonder he said, man, the secret to my legacy, first and foremost, is my life has been committed to a greater person. Let me tell you, Finn, when you commit your life to Jesus, and I'm not saying commit it to a church, I'm not trying to talk you into that. That commitment of your legacy isn't tied to your religion The commitment to your spiritual legacy is tied to your relationship with jesus and when you commit your life to jesus christ and he is the principal one and the priority of your life uh, he changes everything about your life as he did from saul to paul think about what he does paul would later write that god has saved me from the penalty of sin in Romans, it says "The soul, the sin dies. It says the wages of sin is death. So we live under this penalty of sin. That's why the Bible says in, uh, John three 19 that we are condemned already. Meaning that a person apart from God sets under the condemnation of God. And if they die in that condition, they don't go to heaven, they go to hell. And so we're living under the condemnation of God. That's why uh, the rules of the scripture don't apply to the lost. Let me chase one rabbit for you and tell you why I said that. Oftentimes, we try to get people to comply to the rules of Scripture, to the standards of the Bible. They don't apply to lost people. They reply to God's kids. You know why? Because a lost person sets under the condemnation of God already. Let me ask you a question. What could anyone on death row do to be more condemned than they already are? Let that soak on your mind a moment. You say, well, I just think, you know, these rules ought to apply to lost people. They don't. Because in the eyes of God, a lost person is condemned already, and a man sitting on death row can't do anything. They can't kill him twice. <laughs> he kills somebody. Well, he killed the guard. Okay, what are you going to do now? Kill him twice? He's condemned already. What's my point? My point is, men without Jesus, we're on death row. Without Jesus, we're condemned already, and there's nothing a condemned person can do to be more condemned. And Paul said, man, when I received Jesus and I committed to this greater person, he said he brought me out from under the condemnation of sin. Read what he wrote in Romans chapter eight. He opens it by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation to those where, who are in Christ. You're not condemned. Remember what he said to the woman, who had been caught in the middle of a sinful act and he brought brought, they brought her to Jesus to stone her, which was a custom under the Levitical, under the Jewish law. And Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you. But then he said, go and sin no more. In other words, turn from that life. Repentance is turned. It's metanoia. It means I was doing this and now I'm going to start doing that. I was going this direction and I'm turned and I'm going in a different way. And so Jesus, He said i'm going to bring you out from there's no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus the second beautiful thing paul wrote about is only no condemnation he said there's no more guilt he said who shall lay anything to the charge of my elect meaning who's going to accuse you of anything i haven't forgiven you of god is not the accuser of brothers and sisters the devil is that's what he's called the accuser he said there's no guilt That's why I tell you, oftentimes, once God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. Some of you living under guilt and condemnation that God's already forgiven you of, you need to let that go. You need to forgive yourself. I've told you before, you know what forgiveness is? Release. Some of you need to release yourself. You're living in the bondage of your past, the bondage of your guilt. You're living under self-condemnation. And if God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. He said, there's no condemnation. There's There's no guilt. And the third thing he closed Romans 8 talking about, Paul wrote this and said, there's no separation. Who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? So height or depth or angels or principalities or things present or things to come. And then he said, nothing, nothing can separate us. From the love of god who's in christ jesus you see does that mean we're sinless no it, it, you're still gonna get dirty. let me ask you something what do you do when your kids get dirty you say i'm gonna adopt that booger out and get me and we're gonna make another baby because that one's dirty no you say i'm gonna put that little booger in the bath i'm gonna clean that little stinky kid up i love that little booger what do you, what does god do to his kids when we get dirty 1 John 1.9, he puts you in the tub and cleans you up because he loves you little boogers. That's forgiveness. You belong to him. And Paul said, man, God saved me from the the penalty of my sin. And and, and listen, and one day, think about this, one day he's going to save us from the presence of sin. That's what heaven is about. That's the hope of heaven that I have and you have. We know our loved ones are there. We'll one day be saved from the presence of sin. When John wrote about heaven in Revelation, you know what? When you read it, he used negatives to describe it. No sin, no sorrow, no death, no night, no suffering, no, no, no negatives. Why did he do that? Because he didn't have the vocabulary adequate enough to express the incredible beauty of heaven. Heaven's going to be a place, friend, we'll never say goodbye to our loved ones again. Heaven's going to be a place Where nobody's gonna get sick there won't be any more sick babies born there aren't going to be any more separation there's not a funeral home in heaven there's not a divorce court in heaven there's not a hospital in heaven there's no sorrow in heaven the former things are past and Paul said when I committed to Jesus that's what I bought into so you commit your life to a greater person let me hurry Secondly, he said you commit your life to a greater purpose a greater purpose read acts 20 down 27 through 20 and 8 What was the purpose he gave his life to preaching Jesus to other people? How does that translate for you and me sharing our faith with other people? Finding creative ways to tell people about Jesus. I told you last week all witnessing is is one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread (laughs) It's just saying man. This is what God did for me and if he did this for me, he can do this for you. And guys, what we know about life is sooner or later, life is gonna get hard enough and it's gonna to be tough enough that the hardest among us are gonna recognize, I need something greater than myself. And when you can be right there beside that friend to share Jesus with them, what a wonderful experience that can be. He committed to that higher purpose of sharing Jesus with others. Here's a third one. I said a greater person, I said a greater purpose, The third one's a greater principle. He talks about the principle in Acts 20, verse 35. What was the principle? He said, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. I'm going to live my life, he said, being generous. Generous in my love for people. Generous in my kindness to people. Generous in my willingness to forgive people. Generous with my resources. You know how a person becomes that type of had that type of generosity about them enough that where other people say at their memorial service they would have given the shirt off their back for you they would have done anything you, you know how you live that way the the secret of it is in 2nd Corinthians 2 where Paul was complimenting the generosity of the people in Corinth you know what he said they first gave themselves to the Lord Jesus you know when you give yourself to him I don't mean just committing your soul I mean committing your life when you give that to him everything about me is connected when I give me to Jesus Everything connected to me gets given to him. See how that works? I step in the plate. I give myself. It's total surrender to the lordship of Christ. And then you can't help yourself. You're going to love people. You know when you love Jesus, you're going to love who he loves? When you follow him, you're, you're going to do the things that he did. And the best advice I could give you, I would say press in as close as you can to him, and you cannot help but treat other people the way Jesus treated give you a principle. Galatians 5, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? It means have a conscious awareness that God's presence is living within you. It shapes how I look at you. It shapes what I say about you. It shapes how I treat you. I recognize the fact God is with me. He is in me. And so it shapes. And, so, and if I can walk every day in the spirit, I won't be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Paul was committed to these areas of his life. Paul left a legacy. Guys, I hope I've stopped you long enough this morning to get you to think a little bit about the life we're living and the legacy we'll leave. Understand, those moments will create memories. Some of you guys, like me, you're in the grandparent stage of life. Isn't that fun? Don't you love that? Man, you can mess with them, you can spoil them a little bit, you send them home. It's awesome. I remember when Cindy and I would pick the kids up from one of the grandparents' house, one of the first things she would say to them, she'd say, kids, you're back in the real world. Right? Because our house ain't the real world, man. But you know what you realize when you're at the games, or you're going to their little games, or you're doing something with them, you're having fun with them at the house, or if you hunt, you take them hunting. If you fish, you take them fishing. Well, you, you get on the boat. You, you just do something fun. You, you don't realize that in those moments, those moments, you're creating a memory that one day that little booger may look back and look at a picture and remember their papa and remember their grandmother. You didn't think about it being that momentous at the time. But one of those days, that little one will grow up, and they're going to remember the time you spent with them. They're going to remember the love you lavished on them. They're going to remember the difference that you made. That's a legacy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us from your word the significance of having a life that will live on even after we're gone. Thank you that by Paul's example we can see the significance of certain things that we need to incorporate in our life that our families and friends will one day remember. And Father, we thank you for those who are no longer here with us today. We know where they are. We know they're in your presence. And now we have the boxes and we have the photo albums. We have the videos. We have the images on our phones. And when we look at them, our hearts are sometimes heavy, but our hearts are also filled with joy because we're looking at a moment that became a memory. And we're recognizing a life that was lived so well that they left this legacy for us. So, Lord, give us us the strength we need to live the life that will leave a legacy that our families one day will love and celebrate. And Father, if there's one listening to me today who's never trusted you as Savior, I pray this would be a moment where they humble their heart right where they are and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin. With all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Receive me as your son or daughter. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.